Listen, listen, listen. This is the Black Country Blokes Tune the Facts about everything that is mental health. Now, we're not experts, but we are experienced, so we're encouraging you to share your experience because every experience is worth sharing. So please be part of the conversation. Listen. I've been the Black Country Blokes Tune the Facts about everything that is mental health, disability, and life in general. With me, Kev Dillon, Lee Cadman, and one of my favourite guests we've ever had on on our podcast, Cherry Gillings. So thank you, sis, for coming on. Uh, what we're going to do, as we always do, we're going to start the show, as we always do, um, uh, our support group at The Lions, every Wednesday, 7pm to 9pm. And that's what I've been grateful for this week. Uh, and I'd have to say, um, I've got three lads fighting in the Nationals. I've got Osman Mohammed fighting in the quarterfinals tomorrow. And if he wins, he'll join Ben Collins and Matthew Ford on Saturday in the semis. And then, by the grace of God, they all win and then we're to the finals. If we get to the finals and we win the finals, brilliant. If not, we've done blooming brilliant to get here. So I'm grateful for that. And obviously it takes a little bit of luck, but the best friend of luck is hard work. Because luck will get you there, but the hard work will make it pay off in the end. Lee? Um, me, I'm grateful because my daughter was ill after the show last week, um, but she's come out of it. She's come out of it well. Um, yeah, we only had one day in hospital, which is, makes a nice change. And I'm grateful because that's probably in two years, maybe a bit more than two years, that's the first time we've had to phone an ambulance. And, and it used to be, it reminds you of these things, but it used to be probably at least once every two weeks when she was when she was uh, first diagnosed that we'd phoned an ambulance. So we've come a long way since then, and that's reminded me how far we've come. I said to you that, Lee, um, it, it, it was a shock to the system, though, isn't it? Because... Our minds are brilliant. We forget how how scary those situations can be, can't we? Definitely, it was definitely it was definitely a reminder of that as well. How how hard it it has been in the past, and um, I'm not sure if I ever got used to it, but I've certainly got out of used to it now. If that makes sense, it's certainly very foreign to me again. Um, having having ambulance people turn up and whatnot, but as I say, it it also reminded me how far we've come, and it's it's a very long way. Touchwood to um, stay well. Cherry, what have you got to be grateful for? Apart from seeing Lee in his lovely suit. <laughs> I'm very grateful to be here and to be invited to, to, to be on the show. Um, but what I'm really grateful for this week is a trainer. I don't know if I'm getting muffled. Is that better? Yeah. yeah. That's so a trainer called Jane Donahoe. Jane Donahoe, who, tra- who led a... Um, training session at work this week and last week and it was about stress and well-being and vicarious trauma and you know when a trainer is energized and enthusiastic and passionate about what they're delivering she was just fully loaded like that so she just i don't know it just felt really affirming and positive and engaging and encouraging and yeah so you know she she did a, a like a mop-up session just for me and my colleague today and it was just yeah, it was brilliant. So I just feel really grateful for her. Isn't it great when you do things like that and you actually come out uplifted yeah. and, and energised? I've mm. done many courses for work and, and some of them you just come out and you're like, I'm glad that's over. Yeah. I'm glad that, you know, nodding off halfway through. But then ones that really do inspire and uplift yeah. you are fantastic. Yeah, really. You can say some people are born to teach, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Like some teach, it's like their performance, their, their platform, their stage, where they come alive. Yes. And what what was she 
doing? Can you tell us a bit about it, please? Yeah, it was about frontline workers, basically, and how to recognise stress and manage stress, and also to acknowledge that, you know, as compassionate human beings, and, you know, black country blokes, you represent that, you know, um, when you're hearing and witnessing other people's pain, it lands for us. It can't not, you know, it, you can't not care about somebody's suffering and then walk away and just be like, well, you know, that just happened and like, forget about it. We, we don't do that. So, do you remember when we did our mental health first aid training and they talked about, it's like sucking out the poison. Mm-hmm. You and know, what you do like, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely what you do with it. So, so this, was, this was a look at, you know, what's the impact on you? And then what's your self-care about? What does that look like? Um, and the importance and significance of that. So, yeah, and it was just just how she did it. She's really engaged with the work, you know. She's she talked about her own journey, and um, so her insight is influenced by her own journey. But her compassion and presence for other people, you know, really came through. So I love that. You know, when somebody's actually being as they're teaching. Yeah, there's no incongruence in it that they are being exactly what they. So, and it's amazing when someone is so passionate about something, even if you're not interested about it, you feel fired up on that as well, don't yeah, you? you do. And you learn then, you learn yeah. about that thing. Whether you, whether you do anything with it after is another thing, but you, you do, you take that in and you go, ah, you know what, that was really engaging. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that throwaway thing of self-care, self-well-being, well-being, wellness, happiness, they, they, we hear it everywhere, don't we? Look after yourself. Take time for yourself. But that, that can be the hardest thing, isn't it? And when you're someone who naturally sucking out the poison of everyone, man, woman, goat and insect, <laughs> but then what do I do with it? Yeah. And that's one of the hardest lessons, isn't it? What yeah. do you find? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think often we talk about self-care as something else that has to be done. When... More than anything, for me, it seems like self-care is about taking stuff off my plate and taking stuff off my to-do list and taking stuff more easy and being at ease with stepping back and and not doing anything and and giving yourself permission to do absolutely nothing, you know, more of the time because, you know, like like you, we like to be busy, we like to be doing stuff, we like to be involved in things, but actually... Um, it's that restorative bit, isn't it? Like, you know, take a break and, and be okay with taking a break. Um, you know, watch your box set. Don't do anything. Have a duvet day. Like, it's not the additional doing. It's it's the chance for you to be in a space and just take a moment. Be at ease with it. Someone's told me there's a difference, and we, we've all been there, when you're revising and you're reading and you're reading and you're reading and nothing's going in. You read the same piece of paper 400 times, but no word sinks in. That's being busy. And there's a difference between busy and constructive. Mm-hmm. Constructive is going, you know what? Today, I'm going to watch the football. I'm going to watch extenders. I'm going to sit and do, I'm going to go boxing. I'm going to do whatever. Mm-hmm. And when I'm ready, I'll read it. And that's when my brain is ready to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And recognising when we are in stress mode, that part of the brain that receives information in that kind of intellectual way 
isn't that's not the part of our brain that's online when we're stressed, you know? Like, we're in our emotional brains, aren't we, when we're stressed, you know? We're fight and flight is activated, or we're kind of in that state. But we're not in that kind of conscious, you know, intellectual frame of mind. And, like, noticing that. You, you mentioned this before about self-awareness and being tuned into yourself enough to know, actually, I need a break. This is not going in right now. Let me put down the book and go for a walk. Let me take a walk the dog or just go outside and look at the sky, take a few deep breaths, just come away from it and and allow the system to calm down and then you can be receptive again. And self-awareness comes with, I'm about to lose my temper. Uh, self-awareness, I'm about to reach for the cigarettes. Mm. I'm, no matter what it is, it's being self-aware about it. And I think that's part of the journey because we all have cravings. We all have impulses. We all... But I think with age comes wisdom, and then you start noticing, hmm, I've been here before, can I change what I'm going to do next? Yes. Yeah, lovely. And, I mean, I, and that, we were saying earlier, and I was saying on the show, I found this for myself by talking to wonderful people, um, and I'm going down a gratitude route at the moment, and I, as we say a lot of the time, I've got to be grateful for my three lads who are in the ABAs. I've got to be grateful of my Lions Box Club. I've got to be grateful for... And you go, hang on, hang on. I've got to be grateful that I can put my own socks on. I am grateful that when I have uh, go to the toilet, it flushes. I'm grateful. And gratitude hasn't got to be about these major booms. It's the little things. And I talked to Lee and like with little Calla. Uh, the, other, the other day, my, my daughter was booly. And she was having nightmares, and I woke up, and I, you know, did what daddy does. And I snuggled her and cuddled her and I kissed her, and I was having no. Every time I went back to sleep, she'd cry out for me. And, and then I thought about my old pal here, who'd been having it for weeks upon weeks with his daughter, and I, I, I just felt so grateful that it was an upset tummy, and she was having nightmares. And it was that gratitude, but do you know what I'm trying to say? It's, yeah. it's finding things in life, and you go, it ain't as bad as it seems right in this moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's with the fight and flight, mm. and we've all been there with our partners, mm. you're trying to win the argument <laughs> instead of keeping a relationship. <laughs> you know what I mean? And what you say and what you do, it's like you're having a boxing match and you're landing big bombs to win. Mm. And if you could put what cost if I won that argument? Absolutely. Yeah. Have you found that, Jerry? Yeah. I learned something a couple of years ago. I think it came from, um, maybe she's called Deb Schofield. I can't, Deb something, but anyway. And the question she asked was, what's not wrong right now? Because sometimes gratitude is too far away from people. And again, just acknowledging, if you're in a real funk, like the part of the brain that kind of processes that kind of level of analysis and searching, like isn't the one that's that's you know, online, if you like. So if you can ask yourself, like, what's not wrong right now? When it looks like everything is, you know, oh, my life's falling apart, you know, the, the cat, the dog, the missus, the whatever, whatever. What's not wrong? And it might be, well, what's not wrong right now is I can see. Yeah. Okay, my sight is still working. I can hear. My hearing's still, okay, so, that, so that's not wrong. My heart's still beating. Okay, that's not wrong right now. And I might still not be in gratitude mode. I'm just noticing what's not wrong. 
Sorry, that's very similar to we had um, Dr. Annie Barney from Gravy Banana on, and she said exactly the same in a slightly different way. She says when basically when you stub your toe in the morning, you notice all the bad things that's going on, kind of like a car. You buy a red car and you see three thousand red cars, that's exactly it. the same as yours. Yeah. It's the same same theory, isn't it? Yeah. It's just kind of yeah. slightly flipped, I suppose. Yeah. But you 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 physically making your brain see what's right. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. And I think there is, there's the yin with the yang and all this. But if we program our minds thinking, all the youth, oh, they're so rude, and all the oldens, they're so selfish, we see that. Yes. And everyone is there to get me. You know, yes. never trust anyone. But then when you stop, because I, I work with a lot of children um, at the lines, and they're remarkable. Mm-hmm. And when you start seeing good in people, mm-hmm. it's the same like some pushes into you, you're more likely to go and push into the next person, or someone cuts you up on the road, you'll cut someone up, and but if you say, morning, the first person might stare at you thinking, what's he after? But it's contagious, mm-hmm. emotions are contagious, anxiety, nerves are mm-hmm. contagious, anger, frustration, contagious, but so is love and kindness, mm-hmm. and more you can put that out there, hopefully someone that sticks. And doesn't so that show the importance of the people you keep around you, mm. you know, and how your mind ca- mind frame can change and adjust mm. because you were around the right people in your mm. life, or the wrong people. You know, mm. it goes both ways, mm. and that kind of shows you how the youth can get misplaced because you're hanging around with the wrong guys, and it creates a bad atmosphere. People notice that atmosphere, and then you're labelled as something that you probably aren't. Mm. It's like um, fear. A lot of people do fear the fear. I know all my trouble of getting into trouble was because I was a frightened boy. But I didn't want to show the world I was a frightened boy, so I was kicking off, shouting, fighting. Because mm. that was my my disguise, my superhero mask of not getting picked on. Mm. It was great when we had Noel Farrell, who was a GB boxer, who will be coming on the show very soon. Mm. Um, and he was saying, nerves. And you walk around a change room of boxing, some are being sick, some are walking around laughing, joking. It's just people are using a different disguise to hide the same thing they're all going through. And that's why I think that's where fear has got many different masks, hasn't it, mm-hmm. Sherry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And, 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 that, and what you're both saying is really connected, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we hear a lot, don't we, about ACEs and childhood trauma. And, 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 I, and I think about the kid who's suffering at home who goes to school and has to mask up at school because they don't want anybody to work out or find out what's going on at home. Mm. And, um, or the child who goes to school and behaves badly at school, quote-unquote badly, because there's a, you know, nightmare stuff going on at home, and how they get marginalised at school then. And then you can see how things like kids get excluded, maybe end up in prison, because once you're marginalised, once, you're, once, you're, once you've been like frozen out, like, who else have you got to play with except the other kids who've been frozen out? And a lot of those kids have got, you know, aces, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, really high adverse childhood experience, you know, significant trauma. So I think that's, that's what connects what both of you were saying for me is the, is the, the behaviour and the fear and how those two things play out, you know. Like, we can cover it up with... Um, positives, seemingly positive, more socially acceptable behaviours, or we can go the other way, can't we? You know. And I think the way is, well, depending on what I do in the room, we're going to get rid of 
sexism, racism, prejudice, is we've got to teach our children better. And earlier we can teach them, the better. Mm -hmm. And education just hasn't got to be at school. We can't put everything on to teachers. Mm -hmm. The teachers are there to teach you ABCs and A. Mm -hmm. Overworked and underpaid. Then we've got to expect the parents to teach you. But how can a parent teach you if he or she was never taught it? Yeah. So where are we going to get this education from? Yeah. And that's why I, I love like boxing clubs, football clubs, dojos. Mm. Because you might be the one who teaches that person yeah. differently. Yes. And a teacher comes in many different forms, mm -hmm. be it a lecturer, be it now in the, in the world of YouTubes and Instagrams and... So if it's positive and it's reaching to you, mm. let that be your KRS one, mm. let that be your, your lecturer, whoever it is, mm. and cipher what is right. Yeah. Lee? Yeah, you're right, Kev, you're exactly right. And uh, I think there's, there's a real importance to people who actually put content out there. And whether they realise it or not is another thing, but there really is because... The, the kids are getting on tablets, phones, all all that's coming in earlier into people's lives and they're lasting longer on it, they're on it for, for more time. So it's very important that anyone who puts content out there, that it's for the good. I think for good and being genuine. Mm. Be good because you're good, not just because you'll get clicks. Yeah. I, I think we see a lot of that. Yeah, being real. Well, Lee, I think if we go to a couple of songs now, Cherry has gladly uh, picked out the songs today, so when we come back for the songs, we're going to tell uh, ask her why she picked that and again to the story. And we're back with Cherry Gilling. And Cherry, uh, do you mind telling us what songs, for those who have been watching this on YouTube, what songs you picked and why you picked them? Okay, so we started, I think, I'm going to say, I'm going to get this wrong, aren't I? I'm going to say we started with Ghetto Heaven, but we didn't. We started with Sister Sledge, We Are Family. And um, this is because, like, I look back at a certain time of my life with um, a cohort of friends in Liverpool. All, you know, we were young and free and we were all creative and, oh, you know, just the future just looked full of possibility. <laughs> <laughs> it looked full of possibility. And our track is We Are Family. So that's why I played that because it's just it was just our tune, you know. And um, days of sitting on verandas and going out clubbing and drinking rum and coke and dancing till daft o'clock in the morning and, and not a care in the world, really. Um, and then Ghetto Heaven uh, by Family Stand, and uh, I chose that because it reminds me of uh, when I was young and we would go to this caravan park and. Uh, we would have dance battles between us, and that was just one of the tunes that we would we would kind of dance off. And uh, the great thing about that is, um, oftentimes you got beat. <laughs> you got beat. So, uh, you know, you had to learn some new moves and come better next week for the new people that arrived. So um, it reminded me, actually, that um, there's some resilience in that, isn't there? You know, taking a beat and then coming back a bit better, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, so yeah then real love Mary J Blige Mary J Blige was the first concert that I went to in um she was at the Manchester Arena so oh my god this is like how old I am it must have been over 20 years ago anyway but just a phenomenal she's a tiny little dot but she's a powerhouse mm. she's got a phenomenal voice a phenomenal story and um yeah that whole album what's the 411 was like 
oh, it was an amazing album. You know, I was a black woman, like, and I was just a young black girl then. It was like, she, I don't know, she was aspirational for us, you know. Uh, and it was, that was the kind of, open the windows, play the music loud, don't care if you upset the neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they were those days. Um, and then street life. So, just talk, thinking about a story, really. So, um, I ran away from home when I was 15, from Liverpool all the way down to London. And I was down there for six months. And, um, and when I hear that song, Street Life, I, I, I remember my experience of like being a runaway kid, you know, and um, it's mad now that I work with like young homeless people. Uh, you know, I didn't join those dots at all until I was there kind of going, no way. Um, yeah, so Street Life reminds me that, you know, I, I've lived a mad life, you know, but here I am to tell the tale by the grace of something. <laughs> And it's, it's great how music can do that, can't it? Transport you back to those places. And the, the smile and the beam on your face now yeah. when you're describing what these songs mean to you is fantastic. Yeah. I love music for that. I love music for that. Like, so we were talking today about, again, the kind of nervous system and this particular nerve that everybody's talking about now, your vagus nerve. And uh, it's a vagus nerve because it's, it's wandering, isn't it? It goes through all the body, longest nerve, and it goes, bunches up around your heart, bunches up in your gut. You know, talk about gut feelings and your heart and your head brain, so all of those things. Anyway, one of the things that you're, they ask you to do when you're looking at, like, your own well-being is to track what makes you feel good. So I have a playlist called Ventral Vagal, which is just like, it doesn't sound like a cool term at all, but being in a, in a positive state is like that ventral kind of state in your nervous system. So I made a playlist called Ventral Vagal and all of the tunes that are on that playlist are like uplifting, remind me of something positive and powerful and then I just, it just lifts me up. And, and everybody's got that, haven't they? Mm. You know, um, if, if, if any listener hasn't already done that, put a playlist together of songs that make them feel good. Do it. Just do it. It's well worth doing. It's a great exercise. <laughs> I, I always call it like the, the earworm, and because like when I'm, I'm on mental journey once again, I'll have a, I don't know, a sad song, Hurt or Johnny Cash, and I'll, I'll hear it in my head, and once again, being somewhere, I know that I'm spiralling. So I have to perfectly go, whoa, 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 stop, change the record, and then I'll change it to Rudimental, not, not giving in, or something like that. Doo, doo, doo. Yes. And, but I, I have to physically, do it mentally, sorry, change the record. Yes. And maybe that's great, another great thing, but talk once I, as I work with, it says, um, once again, it's a diet, what we're putting into our, our system. And it goes, um, to have like your favourite movie poster or... Family pictures or pictures yes. of children, whatever it is, like some of us are auditory, like music, some yes. are visual, whatever it is, have you know you better than yes. I would ever know you. Yeah. Find what makes you happy and yes. surround yourself by it. Yes. It's good medicine. It really, really is. Which I mean, about like you leaving home at um, 15, 20. Tell us about Cherry Gilling. Tell us about the story. So. I I was born in Liverpool to a Irish woman and my dad is Jamaican. This is like 70s Liverpool. And um, 
very, you know, we talk about adverse childhood experience, a really difficult dynamic in that, for her anyway, in her life. So her children were taken off her. So I was taken and the other two kids was taken and then we were back and forth in these different places. And um, I ended up in a long-term foster family anyway. And uh, this was the family that I ended up running away from. And I ran away to London. And I, you know when you think back, like what possessed you to do that? 15 year old girl. And I must have looked about 10 because <laughs> I was tiny. What possessed you to do that? To put yourself at risk and to not even recognise that you that I was putting myself at risk. It looked to me like I was going towards something better, something safer, um, getting away from what have you. And six months I was down there. Sometimes I was street homeless. Sometimes I slept in a car park. I used to go to... Um, then times there used to be a, a vigil outside the South African embassy because like apartheid hadn't ended then, right? And there was, um, it was a 24 hour vigil. So I would sometimes be outside there on the night time as well. I ended up getting a job working, ended up getting um, like accommodation in some like a women's hostel down there. Um, but also had some dreadful experience, as you would expect a 15 year old girl on her own in London to have like, what on earth were you thinking? And sometimes, I, you know, doing the job that I'm doing now, which is like young, uh, young people's street homelessness, to, there were some dots that I hadn't joined in my own experience. You know, you hear stories or you, you go on a training program and you think, oh my days, like I've lived through that. And, and I didn't call it that then or I didn't recognise it as that. So, yeah, man. So that was, that was a big deal, but I was found and taken back to Liverpool. So the police found me, I was in Paddington police station overnight, took back to Liverpool. And uh, and then I had this runaway label for a while. That was really um, embarrassing. Yeah, it was the kid that ran away and all of that. Um, so, you know, when you think about like what shaped you in your life, like that shaped me a lot. Or to running away, or yeah, well, the, yeah, the, the running away, the surviving in London. So I had a sense then when I came back that I could survive, which maybe I didn't know that before. Which um, is a great lesson. Yeah, I it think you you almost thrive there as well in the sense that you've managed to get down there, find accommodation, and get a get a job. Yeah, yeah that's not just ways. that's yeah. not just. You're living off the streets and you're yeah. scrapping. You went, no doubt there was some of that, but mm. it's also actually I've gone up levels in six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as well. <laughs> I think I told you this story, right? So there was a photograph. So <laughs> this is like the oh. So there was a photograph that got put in the newspapers like a missing girl. I remember I was saying to you, I used to dance. I was a bad little dancer when I was young. So, um, one of the photographs that was put out, I had this like um, plaited headband on because I've been in this disco dancing competition. <laughs> so one of the pictures for this missing girl had like this disco headband on it. And you know when you think, oh no. It's <laughs> 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 like, oh man. Um, so like, it's great, isn't it? You can look back at these things that were really maybe at the time quite painful and difficult and, and you can see the funny side of them and they're just part of your story, aren't they? 
And I think that I would be, I would have been mortified if my daughter had done that. Yeah, you know, it's that's when you realise, oh, that, that has impact on other people. That that action. Um, and at the same time, you recognise that there's some healing and some progression made because my daughter didn't have to run away. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That even though she there was stuff, she, she, she didn't have to run away. You know, she didn't have that. That broken stuff was kind of on the mend. I think the fear that it must have taken it to run away and the courage to back the fear is underrated as well, isn't it? I think that there's lots of young people suffering now and we don't hear about running away so much as we used to. When I was young, it seemed like it was maybe quite a common thing. There was loads of kids in London who'd run away. Um, and also, loads of kids who don't make it back, you know? Um, so, I'm kind of holding on to this idea that, yeah, there's, there's a courage there, but, but more, you know what would have been more courageous? To have gone to somebody and said, this is how things are, help. That would have been really, really courageous. But I didn't know that that was possible, and I didn't trust that, help would have been available if I'd said so, you know? Whereas today, I'm certain that if you go to somebody in your school, or if you go to, oftentimes it's like a friend's family member, you know, you go to your friend's mom and you say, this is how things are, that help will come. Whereas, you know, I wasn't at all certain of that, not at all. And you'd like to believe that we have moved on from that because when someone does reach out and tell you um, whatever's going on, you've got to believe the person that you and you've oh, got to yeah. try and get that person oh, help. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what we found by doing this show and different forms of uh, abuse and circumstance, whatever, it comes in many different faces as well, yeah, doesn't it? absolutely. And no gender, sexuality, mm. uh, classism mm. is... Um, is immune to it. No, no. And I grew up in one of these foster families whereby, like my mum, she was she was old school. Like so, you don't talk out of school. You don't you don't air your dirty laundry. You, you certainly don't say anything's wrong here. <laughs> Things can be wrong with them in the neighbours, but nothing is wrong here. And any any the slightest suggestion that there was anything wrong, she, she would have taken it. Um, really personally and like a casting some kind of aspersion on her caregiving so like um i'll give you a little example of that because i had uh two um sisters two half sisters that when i went into foster care they were with a different family and um she didn't want us to have any contact with them at all and then when it was about seven maybe eight the social workers managed to arrange a visit and um, so my little sister Mimi, I'll tell you about Mimi in a, uh, later on, but my little, so my little sister Mimi comes to visit and, you know, I'm so delighted to see her, so happy to see her. But when she's taken away, I'm devastated, devastated. And um, my mum says, she's too upset. I don't want her to see, I don't want them to see each other again. And we never saw each other again until many, 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 many years later. 
But that was my mum's kind of whole way of being like, you're too upset, can't have any more of that. <laughs> yeah, like no, um, no management, no space for big feelings, no processing of big feelings, no insight into... Uh, it, naturally, you would feel that way, that that's your relative and, and you're going to... Like for her... Um, the connection that I felt to my sister was was like meant there would be some disconnect with you know the foster family. So, like I understand her protectiveness, and you know live. Yeah, so there was there was no you know what wasn't certainly not a place where you could go and say okay stuff's wrong here. We <laughs> shouldn't have had. <laughs> now we expect that from a, a male point of view, don't we? And men can be closed off with their feelings. Uh, whereas we naturally assume that women are more maternal and more open with feelings, but it's not always the case, is it? No, definitely not. Definitely not. And, you know, thinking about her story, she she lost um, two babies um, of her own, like, way before she began fostering. So you could see then why big feelings would be difficult for her, right? Or, or grief in front of her. You know, would be difficult for her to to allow because, like you said before, you know, feelings are, are kind of catching, aren't they? There's something about resonance that happens, and yeah, like she's not going to have that. She was funny as well. She wouldn't let let us watch him. <laughs> do you remember when Silla Black used to do this program called Surprise Surprise? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Silla Black did this thing where it was like um. She would help people find their long lost relatives. I remember it. Though. Yeah. So my mum said she, she wouldn't let us watch it in case it made us curious. Like we all know that this is not our family, right? We know we're all fostered and connected, like right, whatever, like that. But in her mind, if you if you watch that stuff, it would make you curious. And you know, if you get curious about where you know, where you're questions. from, yeah, you know, that's that's problematic so <laughs> so i understand why 15 year old me wasn't raising flags left right and center because <laughs> it wasn't the space to do that you know i bet working in your lot of work there with these people because feelings are weird as well aren't they and how we remember something can be completely different how it actually was. Absolutely. And, and I imagine, like, you think, oh, they were the best times ever when we were down the park. And you go, well, what was they? You know, when it was raining, we were all great under a slide, or school was great. You go, well, was it great? Mm. And, like, with this, like, I bet in your line of work now, talking to people and hearing experiences, and we hear so many people um, on a show, and they go, I didn't know that I'd come from a messed up home life. It was normal. Absolutely. And it was only until I went around Bill's house and I was seeing how his mum and dad were. I'm thinking, this ain't my house. But then he was encouraged that he didn't go to Bill's house because then he'd realised... And is that how yes. you felt? Yes, that, and that was exactly how my mum would be as well. Exactly like that. A whole culture of, you know, don't get too involved there and don't go over there or if you get... And I was one of those kids who... I would go to other people's houses and feel something different and want to stay mm. you know so i'd be the kid at your house crying don't make me go home <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and you'd be thinking just go home you're like what's wrong with you nothing just don't want to go well, and then you know you go home and um yeah so all of that and if you did that you're not going back there you're not going back to emirates again no you can't go back to caroline's again no you can't because yeah 
Yeah, oh, yeah. That, that's also for anyone who's listening to this. If you've got a friend of his child or whatever, and they don't want to go out, maybe, maybe it is an early sign to think, hang on, let's ask questions to the child, mm. not to the parent. Because I, I know countless times where um, a child has told the teacher that uh, mommy or daddy or nanny, whoever, mm. is doing something, and then the teacher has phoned up mommy, daddy or nanny and told them what the child was saying about them. Yeah. So we've got to be careful. Yeah about this situation, but start seeing the signs and hopefully, you know, it's us just worrying about nothing. Mm. But by worrying, maybe we can make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think people get that twisted, don't they? They're like, um, I, didn't want to, I don't want to interfere just in case they're not doing anything and, and the child's just uh, acting out. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you've got to think of it, if they are, you're then saving that child. So falling out with your, your friend for a few weeks... Mm. to potentially save a child who's in distress mm. it's, it's a no-brainer for me yeah yeah i think safe spaces listening is is the most important thing isn't it mm. you know just keep making a space and keep allowing and allowing and you know tuning in and trusting your gut mm. that's really the thing because you do get a, you do get a sense don't you that oh something's, something's not quite right here and you maybe can't put your finger on it, so trust your gut. I think it's so important. So, how old were you? So you've you've run away, you've been dragged back, mm. and then how old were you when you left the family house? So, again, I left when I was eighteen, and that was on one of those funny rules, really. Of you know, as soon as you're eighteen, go. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? Really, Santa. <laughs> yeah. We've looked at a few all this long, but you're eighteen now. You're an adult. Yeah, you're done. Off you go. <laughs> Um, we, had to, we had to drag it back six months ago, but now <laughs> it's your birthday, head on your ear. Off you go. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. I left when I was 18. So that's where the song We Are Family comes in, right? Because, um, you know, after I'd left and I was... I think I was doing dancing drama at college and... Um, yeah, so that's when I, you know, got in touch with all the like theatre. Liverpool was the everyman, and there was just a crew of people, and we were, we were just creative and hopeful about, and we were all very politically active as well. That's the other thing, you know, kind of militant scousers who were <laughs> mouthy and argumentative, and you know, <laughs> us against the world attitude. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And we really thought we could change the world back then as well, isn't it? And don't think about it now, it's hilarious, but... I think we all do in a way, to be yeah. quite honest. Just, it's who you're changing the world for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's nice, that is. Yeah. So when did it start spiralling then? So, probably... Maybe I'm about 19, and um, I have been... So at 18, I go and have a look at my social services records. I want to know what happened, what occurred. So that's when I find out who my birth father is. I find out, um, that's when I find out actually, how come I'd never seen Mimi again? You know, it was as a result of reading those documents that I discovered that actually it was my, my, my mum who'd said, oh, she's too sad, don't make her see that cat child again. Um, so there was, oh, that was like, there was something really dark about reading this file from social services because it tells you about 
why you was a kid put in care anyway? What was wrong with family, that, you know, your birth family that meant you couldn't stay there? And what kind of condition you were in? All of that kind of stuff. So that so that's really dark. It kind of really coloured my view about myself. Um, I kind of reinforced some negative ideas I had about myself. So that was the first thing. And then um, I got burgled. Uh, so... Yeah, there was just this spiral. And I started using, like, I used to smoke weed, but I'd started using crack. Just kind of every now and again, every now and again, every now and again. With some really unsavory characters as well. <laughs> you, know, you know, people, you just like, what are you doing? But it didn't look like that then. It looked like my kind of people. We were talking about it before, weren't we? You know, when you're traumatized, marginalized, you don't see it in yourself. It's your normal, you know. Um, in fact, we were talking about it at work the other day. Like, professionals around an, a, a child or around a young person might say, oh, that kid's you know, got really low self-esteem, they've got really low self... But in the lived experience of that person, it doesn't look that way to them. So, you know, to be ascribed that label wouldn't fit anyway. It's like, I'm just me, doing me, and living in my experience, and I can't see that these folks are unsavory characters because they look like... They look like kind of cool to me. They look like they could defend me if something's going wrong. They look like we could run in, we'll be all right. Do you know what I mean? There's a, they're not going to judge me. They're, yeah. they're doing it as well as me. So yeah. they haven't looked down on me because they're part of the crew. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you just, again, you're with, you're with a marginalised crew, aren't you, really? Because, you know, you've all got some, some things in common, whether it's spoken, acknowledged or not. You know, there's, there's a resonance that, that maybe we're not necessarily talking about. So that, if you like, that was the beginning of the descent, really, <laughs> into into proper kind of madness. You know, um, I'm still trying to go to college. I'm going to university. I'm trying to put things together. But of course, you know, when I look at it now, they oh, you were trying so hard to put things together. You were trying so hard to become something and become somebody and to and to go in the direction that you wanted to. But I didn't have the um, the inner resources to, to realise it. So I get into this wonderful, da wonderful dance college, Laban. Like there's a couple of top dance schools in the country, contemporary dance schools, London School, the Northern School and Laban. So I get into Laban and I'm a single mum, like getting into Laban, like who, who even gave you this idea? <laughs> that, you know, who gave me the idea that I could do that? But it had a bolshiness about me and I guess, you know, off I went, audition, I get in. And then there's this dilemma. You can't get a grant to go. So, local authority back then said, we'll pay the, the fee for the school, but there won't be any kind of maintenance grant. So, I went and had a conversation with my mum about, I've got into this dance college. I think Alicia was, was 94, so Alicia was two, my daughter was two. So, we agreed, me and my mum. Alicia can stay with her for a year, one year. And then the, when she's three, she'll join the nursery behind the dance college. But you know what? I went to London without my child. Worst mistake I ever made. And I hadn't foreseen that me without my daughter would leave me unanchored or something, but that was absolutely what it did. Almost no responsibility. Yeah. Do what you like. Yeah, but also, like, what are you doing? What is the point of anything? Like, mm. things didn't make sense, but I didn't have, um, 
maybe the language for that or, or the feeling that that all in it was that, that things weren't making sense. So using more frequently, more frequently, more frequently. And and it and it, it just it just fell over. I um I went to you know, like school holidays and stuff like that. So I want to see my daughter. I want to see my daughter, but my mum's taking her away because that's she's got. You know, she's looking after her, and and I feel like an outsider in my daughter's life. And at this point, I'm, my version of events is I haven't done anything wrong. I'm, you know, she's not your child. She's my child. Like I, I don't get it. But of course, all that activated in me is shame, guilt, guilt. Yeah. So now I'm not functioning well at all. And before I know it, like, I'm using every day, all day, flat out. I ended up with a crack addiction, heroin addiction, you know, and then by the following July, um, the end of the July, I've been arrested and I'm going to prison. I've been on a flight to Jamaica and I've come back with substances in my luggage and, you know, I've been arrested and I'm going to Holloway for a long time. And you know, when you look at it, and you, you can't quite believe that this is what happened, but that's exactly... That's exactly in, in such a short space of time as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is a short space of time and not mm. because it started like I'm, um, you know, 18, 19. It, it starts, it's the trouble of it, if you like, the pain of it, the trauma, it starts way back when, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know, the the inability to speak up, the inability to, to, to say what's going on, what's wrong, what you're struggling with. Um, the fact that I don't recognise that leaving my child behind is going to have an impact on me. Like, that's a sign something's not okay, isn't it? And that nobody around me says, are you sure you're going to be all right with that, your daughter? Because she means something to you, doesn't she? And, and nobody in my vicinity had that thought. Like, they were all with the idea that yeah, they'll be all right. She's with you, Mum. Everything will be fine. And I think, well, given that I was a foster kid in care, detached from my own birth family, you can see, well, of course, it, of course, why would you have that? Why would it occur to you that a child would matter so much to their birth mother that their birth mother would stick around? I, I didn't have that pattern. So, you know, you look back and you go, oh, wow, yeah, of course, you wouldn't. You wouldn't know that. You know when you have to start to understand yourself and, God, like, why was I making these dreadful mistakes? Well, you didn't have the template for anything different. And I can imagine that, that high feeling. You've just gone into this school that's out this world and, and you're going to get... And then all of a sudden, with I think that short space of time, you're, you're heading to prison. Well, that's a roller coaster ride, isn't it? It's dreadful. It was dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Because... Yeah, it's exactly what you said. So you're, you look like you're going somewhere good and then you end up like in a pit. And um, if you ever hear people talking about, you know, 12-step recovery and 12-step fellowships and what have you, they talk about addiction will take you to like one of three places, jails, institutions and death. And, um, you know, it might be a bit nihilistic, but, you know, my experience was that, that I, I went to jail. And if I hadn't have gone to jail for a long time, Actually, I probably would never have gotten clean and stayed clean and got on a different path because because I think the pain of using and the shame of it will keep you at it, you know? And I, I've found that a lot with people I know um, with addiction. The shame keeps them going yeah. and they get themselves clean 
and next time we see them, they're back on it. And it's trying so hard, but how do they fill the time when they're not using? And the boredom alone makes them keep doing it. Yeah. And then they feel bad about doing it. When yeah. you're bad, you, you make yourself feel better by doing it. Yeah. And it's the age I think, well, I've done so well. I'll just, I'll just have a yeah. pat on the back. I'll just have one. And it becomes a weekend, yeah. becomes a week, and it's yeah. people who look down on addicts have no idea, do they? Cause it's 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 like a comfy bed, so easy to get into, so difficult to get out of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we don't often think about addiction being the solution for somebody's problem, but it definitely is. And if you start there, you know what problem is this person trying to solve? Then, then straight away you're in a more compassionate mindset. You're in a much more understanding, less critical mindset. Because um, I, I know in my experience, and then I've been working in the sector since like 2003 now, is that everybody's trying to solve a problem. And nobody, no, not one person said, not one said, I wanted to be an addict. Mm. I've never met anybody that said, oh, I wanted to be an addict. Yeah. Yeah, they never yeah. touched a careers officer at school mm. and says, mm. I, I've... You know, in my experience was I wanted to be out of it. Mm. Well, that was a problem I was trying to solve because I didn't want to be in this this reality. I wanted to be out of it. You didn't want to think be thinking about your daughter mm -hmm. not being with you. Mm -hmm. You wanted to... Oh, none of that. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, when you, um, when you got arrested, or that could be arrested, is when you got arrested um, for smuggling, was it everyone else's fault in your mind at that time or was it just... The end of the road, or was it? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, because mm. often when we get caught with our hands in the biscuit, it's well, it's me instead of just thinking, well, I'll oh. rock the dice. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't everybody else's fault, but I definitely went down the what was me route. Yeah, and I also went down down the road of how could this be happening to me? I, I was at dance college, I was doing good things. How did how did this happen? Like. As if it just magically occurred or something, yes. <laughs> you know, this like ridiculous kind of denial about it. So, actually, I've got a cool story about that, which is, um, I think it's a cool story, but you might not. <laughs> so, I've been in Holloway for, I don't know, a year or what have you. They've moved us to Brock Hill because Brock Hill rewelled as a women's prison for a little while. And I was, I was, um, I've gone to sleep and I had a dream. And in my dream, I see myself knocking on this other cell door and I say to this woman, Susie, I say to her, listen, we have to stop thinking about the courts and the judges and all of that. It's not, it wasn't a mistake against them. It's not that we've crossed them. It's that we've gone against our very selves. And um, like, that's what's wrong. Like we've, like, it's like, it's not that it's a, you broke the law or that, you know, th that's not it. That's not why you're here. It's like what you've done is gone against your very own soul. Anyway, so in the morning when I wake up, I'm like, wow, that was a serious dream. And I've gone running down the way, knocking on the door, telling Susie, Susie, listen to this dream. But from that, something began to shift in me because it was like, it was like a teaching dream mm. of uh, actually you did something that went against who and what you, like you are underneath all of this. Like that's what you've done. You've done something wrong. I've done something wrong. So it's that point where you start to go, okay, you know what? Actually, I, I 
I've done something wrong here. And let me begin to understand what that is, you know. And I find that it, that's almost like a religious or spiritual or mindfulness, mm. whatever you want to believe in. Mm. It was you giving yourself the key to unlocking the situation, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in Holloway, um, I saw a psychotherapist who, who said to me, um, let me find her words, because they were potent. She said something like, how could you abandon your child like your mother abandoned you? So I haven't been in Holloway very long at this time. I'm not in a good spot. But when this lady said this, like it landed in my, in my, in my body so hard. Like I never saw the woman again after that, right? But I feel like I cried for, for, for weeks because the pain of what she said was accurate. The truth of what she said was accurate. Like, I'd abandoned my child, but I didn't, hadn't even seen it like that. Anyway. Sorry, can I ask, was that said in like a malice way or, or like, uh, I want you to realise what you've done? No, it wasn't with malicious intent, but it was like a cold, hard reality. Mm. You know, because... It's, I, I wouldn't say that to any of my clients. <laughs> so that's, that was kind of a, like... But, you know, people in prison don't get treated like regular folks mm, outside yeah. anyway. Um, there's a, there, there is a whole heap of kind of stigma and judgment that kind of moves towards people. But at the same time, who else was going to tell me the truth yeah. about mm. that? So if you like, that was the wound. You've done what your mum did to you. Like, oh, horrendous. I did that. Okay, so that's the wound, isn't it? But the dream sometime later is like the beginning of a healing then, isn't it? It's like the beginning of a... It's a softer way of kind of beginning to own like what you've been doing, what you've been up to, and what, what the impact is, you know? Yeah. But on the flip side, um, like you being abandoned by your mum, uh, I, I once again know people who have been abandoned by their parents or their dad wasn't there enough. Today work harder or they work away from home to provide a life that they believe their child wants. So do you think that was a kind of way of you justifying it at the time? 100%. I'm going to go and do it now. Yeah. So I'm going to come back with some money and then me and you are going to take over the world. Absolutely. So, you know, I thought that I was going to become a, a brilliant choreographer, do you know what I mean? And, and like we would have a lifestyle that was in theatre and arts and that would be what I was creating. And, and it's okay to have that, isn't it? It's okay to have that kind of forward focus and a bit of ambition. But again, you know, like adverse childhood experiences will, will inhibit your kind of... Like our nervous systems are set to a particular way. And unless... I, I understand this now, but I didn't know it then. You know, so actually high energy, kind of that um, aroused type state, my experience of that would have been really negative as a kid. You know, the, the dramas and the fightings. So... Nervous systems aroused, so like I can go for that. I'm really comfortable with that. But actually, moving to London and leaving your child behind doesn't require that thinking. It requires consideration, slow down, you know, much more even, rational state of mind. Wise mind, we'd call it today, wouldn't we? You know, less emotional mind is much more wise mind again. I don't think I had any wise mind. <laughs> Kids there, do we? I don't think I had any wise mind back then, you know. Um, 
or, or, or there couldn't have been much much wise mind around me to be fair. <laughs> but you go on impulse, and every impulse is is fact, and is every love is not a fling. It's love, it's passionate, it's and every idea is yes, this and that's the beauty of you for the downfall of you. For exactly, sense. exactly, yeah, yeah, and. If you haven't got children at that point, mm. then then it's not impacting on them, is it? Like, it's, it's you, it's going to affect. But, of course, I was one of those young people with a, with a child to look after. So still impulsive, still all of that. Mm. Not responsible enough, not aware enough, not, you know. It's, it's okay, isn't it? But everything is a chapter in our, in our novel, isn't it? Absolutely. And with those chapters, those early chapters, look mm. what you've accomplished. And when you come out of jail, uh, how, what happened so, next? I couldn't dance, right? Couldn't dance. So what I'd done on my way out is trained as a fitness instructor. It was like I couldn't allow myself to dance. Dance was too important to me. Just just couldn't allow myself to do it. And it felt like a big loss. So. So fitness instructor and teaching classes and all of that. So I was doing that. And um, I was teaching in this gym and I just, I just thought, oh my days. Like it, it seemed really shallow to me. And, um, and I wanted to, wanted to do something that was more significant. And I saw this job advertised in the big issue for a fitness instructor at a rehab in, I was living in Yorktown, in Sheffield. And you had to be, Substance free, you had to be a qualified fitness instructor and a counsellor as well. And I'm having this conversation on the phone with somebody from the Phoenix, and I'm like, who has that combination of skills? <laughs> a fitness instructor and a qualified counsellor. And the chap says, well, if you want to do this role with us, that's what you have to have. So those days, super, okay, that's what I'm going to do then. <laughs> well, goes down. <laughs> So um, I started on the, you know, the level two counselling course, the 10 week counselling course. And um, so then four years later, I finished university with my diploma in counselling. Uh, and that's, that's how I get, got into the kind of the therapeutic kind of work, really. Um, and then I moved down here in 2003. So within four years of um, getting released, I'd got my daughter back. It took me a year to win my daughter back. And um, that was a long court process, you know, like proving that I was okay now and stable and safe and secure and could, could um, care for her and nurture her. And it's funny because you mentioned something before about parenting and I was thinking about, I used to read books on parenting because I was convinced I didn't have a clue. Yeah. I think we've all read that. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember this barrister saying to me, you know, you're very cerebral about your parenting. And me saying to him, well, what, what else What else would I be? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I've got to try and get some something from somewhere. And, um, yeah, so I managed to, to, my daughter returned. Um, yeah, went to college, went to uni, got my counselling diploma. That was a big deal. And then started work, yeah. You've got to love that. A can-do attitude. Obviously, you're out since a child and it's carried you through life. Going, All right, then, I'll do it. <laughs> that, that's the kind of thing you don't want to be beaten out for your life, isn't it? That's the kind of thing that, you know, it's got you into trouble, but it's also catapulted you into success, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. 
I think so. I get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great how these little phone calls, like phoning that job application up and him going, well, actually, you've got you've just got to have those qualifications, can send you on that path. Yes. You know, yes. Just look, reading that article and then phoning that person up. And if that person had gone, well, actually, you, you're just not qualified or mm-hmm. kind of, no, that's what you need. Yeah. Right, let's go and get it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that, you know, because it is those... The things that we think don't matter. For him, he just would have got on with his day. It's nothing, you know? But for me, it totally changed my direction. Yeah. And I think that's what anyone who's young, who's listening to this, or if you're a parent of someone who's young, we say to our kids, so what are you going to do the rest of your life? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you've got to make up your mind because you're leaving school next week. Yeah. We, most of the stuff through love... To careers, to yeah. friendship, are by accident, aren't they? Mm-hmm. You, you you have your best intention of doing something, mm-hmm. then you bump into someone, a good person or a negative person, mm-hmm. and that interaction can change your life. And it's yeah. not always for the worst or for the better, or even from the worst of situations. Good things can grow from it. Absolutely. And I know- think a bad situation is only bad, truly bad, if we don't eventually move away from it, and if we don't learn something from it. Mm. You know what, Kev? That's really important what you've said there, that you can meet those people in your life who are negative or positive people. And it's always, we've always got this mantra of, well, just avoid the negative people and, and, and stick with the positive. But actually, I think you need to change it to, you're going to meet these people, whether you like it or not, throughout mm. your life. For instance, my daughter at the moment, she's got a couple of boys within her school who keep calling her names. And it gets really down, as it would. She's she's a twelve year old, nearly thirteen year old girl, and and you know what boys are like. They'll they'll pick on your weakness or what you perceive to be your weakness, mm-hmm. whether it's you've got big ears, big lips. I keep telling her. I'm always picking on you. You know, you know, you know exactly how she feels, don't you? But but I keep saying to her, it doesn't actually matter. You you need to change your mindset to realise that mm-hmm. is not you because they don't know you. They might they might know your name. Yeah. But they don't actually know you, and they don't know know, know what you're about. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. And you have to. I think we have to do that with everyone now. No matter what your experience is or who you're meeting, mm-hmm. don't let it affect you. I think that's kind of one of the hardest things about being mm-hmm. a parent, isn't it? Because we we teach our children to love, to be kind, to have empathy, and we bring our children up in the best way that we possibly can. And when that first so and so. I like to call him a so-and-so <laughs> but says that and it breaks the thing that we love more than anything's heart mm. well how do we go to brace them for that mm. and you're right it's it's being, being strong for them reassuring mm. them the only way that I learn how to get through tough dilemmas is by going through them yes it's great mommy daddy uncle Kev telling you a story, but the greatest way of learning from something is doing it. Yes. And that's not to encourage that your children go and get into drugs and fight and, well, let's face it, our kids aren't angels. They mm. are going to have these things. Mm. I think all we can do for mm. them is believe them mm-hmm. and be there for them when they need to mm. talk. Yeah, and like I say, I think it's turning, um, make them realise to turn those, what if it's negative, to turn that into a positive reaction on your side. 
because you will not like my, again my daughter's situation you will it doesn't matter if she goes to the teacher and tells that teacher the teacher may go and tell that boy off and do whatever that might happen but that boy's still going to be a bully he's still going to pick on people he's, that's just kind of in his nature it's hard to change someone else's not in his nature that's wrong that's something he's learned it's hard hard to change that person his teaching it's hard for me to change his teaching i don't know the boy i don't yes. you know so we have to change the way my daughter thinks about what yes. that person says and it yes. has to be changed into a positive way and it has to be changed that it doesn't matter because that's not you anyway yeah you can't change everyone's world can you? no but you can change you know, our children or the people in our lives or our world aren't we so yeah. you know we can't change everyone but we no. can change certain ways they perceive the rest of the world. Well, again, that goes back to what I was saying earlier to show we change people's world. Whether we realise it or not, we, 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 we might have these ambitions to begin with to change the whole world mm-hmm. and make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. But in reality, there's not many people in, in, this, in your lifetime that will do that. There is people mm-hmm. out there who do, but there's not many. Mm-hmm. So change the people around you who matter. Change the world for the better for them. There's a couple of things that are kind of standing out in what you're both saying. There's this um, idea that of fostering resilience in our kids. And um, I think the best way of fostering resilience is to be able to tolerate rupture in relationship and repair. So in my family, like, you, rupture was a real big problem and there wasn't a lot of repair and repair didn't really happen so then rupture becomes something that's not okay and you're afraid of could you explain rupture so i mean like a breakdown in the relationship a, a, a rupture in it a split in it a, a falling out a, you know the kid shouted at me at school there's you know the teacher doesn't like me anymore and whereas i think if if kids can see that there's an example of we can disagree and we can get back together and we can disagree and we can get back together so um you know, kids do stuff wrong, but you know, we say as adults, we say that's wrong. Um, how do we deal with and address that? So, I remember said to you, my, my grandson rang me the other day to, to tell tale on his dad. <laughs> but obviously, when I saw them the next day, like that was totally repaired. Whatever his dad had said to him was 100% forgotten, and they were like the best of buddies again. So, the break had been repaired. You know, but if you'd listened to my grandson on the night, you would have thought it was the end of the world. That was it. You know, it was all over. <laughs> um, so, so the example of we can disagree, we can be wrong, and then we can get back together and be right. And actually, fundamentally, there's some acceptance going on of, of you as a human being. That's that's more than that. So I think there's that 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 we we don't because we're so often broken ourselves. <laughs> we haven't got and we haven't slowed down to do our own healing, then we're raising our kids and we... So we haven't done the work, have we? You know, not everyone's had the chance to spend time in jail and get therapy or not. Not everyone's had a chance to sit in the rooms of recovery and get a load of a whole heap of support around them. Most regular folks are just trying to do their best with a lot of damage behind them, you know. You know, when they looked at it, the ACEs to see how much of the population has got four or more ACEs, it's really high. What, what, could you explain what Adverse childhood experiences, like things in their background, like um, a parent with mental health, a parent with an addiction, um, physical neglect, emotional neglect, physical abuse. You know, there's there's ten different ten different items, and loads of people have got that in their history. Who who like we were saying before, 
people who say they've never recognised that they've got this in their history or that it might have been problematic in any way. No recognition that they might be suffering and what have you, but what the mm. And it doesn't have to be. Things things like that. I'll think about my own family again with that and my, my two eldest and, and what they experience um, because my my youngest disability, you know, yeah. us time away from home and time, that's all trauma. Yeah. It's not trauma that's put on them on purpose or through arguing or through, you know, um, domestic violence or mm-hmm. anything like that, but yeah. it is trauma and it yeah. will will affect their future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So because you're a dad with awareness of it, like there's already, there's already space, isn't there, for, for, for the healing to, to be an ongoing process as well alongside it. So the flip side of it is that if there's a, a resilient, a protective factor in a child's life, and that makes all the difference, isn't it? Um, and it does make all the difference as well. So, and the other piece that was kind of standing out for me was this concept of anti-fragile, that something is strengthened by being tested. You know, it gets stronger by being bent. It doesn't, it's not more damaged. It's actually strengthened by, um, by being tested. And I think, you know, how do we foster some of that? You know, because like you said, there are going to be bullies at school, you know. There are going to be kids who are horrible they're still at work with us mm, <laughs> they're in our offices you know all around the, all around the country um, you're going to have bad days you're going to have bad feelings that you don't like you're going to meet people you don't you're like you're going to meet people that you don't like you're going to meet people who don't like you you're going to have bosses that don't like yeah. you who are going to, who are going to not, not necessarily bully you but certainly tell you what to do yeah there That's are times the when you're going to be undervalued, underappreciated, disliked, and guess what? Sometimes it'll be all over the world on Facebook and Instagram and everybody will know all about it. Like, and what happens is, we were saying it all, sometimes people faint in the face of that. They're so distraught. They're so, you know, we have to teach kids, we have to teach, our, teach ourselves to cope, don't we? You know? What kind of thing would you, what kind of exercise would you think for that? Encourage them to try and realise just because they failed, it doesn't mean they're a failure. But encourage people to get outside the comfort zones. Yeah. And I think that's the key because we've come into this cotton wool society that everyone's a winner and we're not all going to be winners. I've, I've lost a lot more times than I've won, but it made the win so much sweeter. Yes. So th- that's a really good example of something that you can teach your kids and, and other people around you. It's like failing is okay. Losing is okay, you know. Losing, losing, losing um, doesn't make you a loser, and that's what we do, isn't it? We 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 get confused with doing and being and and who I am and what I do, uh, two separate things. But equally, we teach our kids that as well, don't we? You know, like if they're doing something that we don't appreciate, that we tell them that they're bad and naughty and they are wrong, and we I, we put the identity of wrong and naughty on them. Or do we teach them that what they're doing isn't right, but they're still fabulous? <laughs> like, you know, they're still the best things in sliced bread and it's okay to get things wrong and we can learn to do stuff differently. But there's a, it's a subtle distinction, isn't it? We had a lady, uh, Louise from um, Willow Daisies, and she was talking about uh, emotional abuse. Yeah. Um, and she says how hey, she had it through her father and then mm-hmm. she got with a partner who did the same. And it's... She says to her kids, you know when um, your daughter does something, you go, are you proud of yourself? So you're using that, are you proud of yourself, in a negative tone. Yes. And then your, your natural thing is like, um, 
Darling, I'm so proud. Daddy is so proud of you. So she's valuing my praise instead of saying, how do you feel? Yeah. Are you proud of yourself now? Yeah. And it's great to say Daddy's also proud of you and Nanny. And, but it's like, how do you feel? Yeah. I feel good. Yeah. Well, isn't that love? Mm-hmm. Instead of having praise from me, us three. Yes. And what Lisa always said to me, who really gives a monkey is what anyone else thinks you can. Are you happy? Absolutely. Maybe that's a lesson we could teach as well. Yeah. I and agree, I, yeah. And I think like Facebook and uh, one of my good friends explained this to me because can you imagine going to Bradley Old Civic, standing there and telling everyone where you'd have for dinner and everything? <laughs> Some people will turn and go off. It's Kev, Kev Dillon. I, I like him, I recognise him from the boxing. Well, most people are going to turn around going, I don't give a monkey's. <laughs> but we see that on Facebook because, oh, well, why isn't all 200 people I've invited to my party paying attention? Your little stories, most people won't care about it. Yeah. But don't be offended. Yeah. It's, it's not real, is it? It's not real, but we've ascribed a whole heap of meaning and power and significance to social media. And, you know, the kids are really struggling with it, aren't they? Mm. You know, they're really, really struggling because it looks like this, this, is, this is their reality, actually. Their credibility is resting upon, you know, their connections and their likes, you know. I mean, I don't know about you, but... Earlier, I was saying, we're so glad that social media wasn't there. You know what I mean? Because it must be so hard to, f- to fight the urge. It's so easy to go, well, just turn it off. Mm. You know what I mean? But if that's like, if you've been brought up with it, that's your right arm. Yeah. It must be so difficult, I don't It's almost like us being grounded and not letting, not being allowed to go out and see your friends yeah. yes. when you were when you're 14, 15, 16. Yes. You know, it was devastating, wasn't it? Yeah. You've got to stay in for a whole night, you yeah. know. It's, so turning turning your child's phone off, it's the equivalent. Yeah, you turn the phone off and kick me into the street now, don't you? <laughs> Let me back in, Dad, now. Go, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, so you've come out, you've cleaned up. I mean, who would believe that, that 16-year-old that first run away and then going down? I mean, and all the wonderful things you're doing. Now. Do you want to tell everyone what, what you have achieved? I mean, you've done lectures. Yes, I've lectured at university. That was pretty cool. Oh, that's another story. I do spoken word, do poetry and stuff. Yes. So I moved to the West Midlands in 2003, right? And, um, and I'm doing a little bit of poetry here and there. And I go to this poetry event in Birmingham and um, the woman who's leading the event, uh, she's asking me about what I do and what I do. And I'm like, oh, I just qualified as a counsellor and I moved down to the West Midlands and working in drug treatment services. And she was like, oh, there aren't many black counsellors. It'd be really cool if I introduce you to my friend who's a lecturer at Birmingham University. So um, she passes my number onto this chap. After a couple of weeks, I haven't heard anything, so I follow it up. It's a bit of that can-do stuff, but <laughs> you don't realise it, do you? But anyway, so I chase it up. He says, I've given your number to the social work degree um, course coordinator. Fine. Um... I get a call a couple of weeks later, so it's 2005 now. I get a call um, a couple of weeks later from this lady who is the social work degree coordinator and she's saying, you know, talking to me about what I do and I tell her, you know, I've been left in Greenwich and I'll come and, you know, do this um, diversity and social work and she's really interested in what I'm offering 
and she, she invites me to, to do the whole day instead of just the morning. So I'm thinking, fabulous, I'll take a day's annual leave and, and I'll get paid for the day teaching at the uni. And um, at the end of the call, or coming to the end of the call, she says, um, I need to send um, the booking paperwork to you. Can I get your full name, please? So I say Cherry, Cherry Gillings. So she says, Gillings, where are your people from? And I say, oh, they, they're from Liverpool, you know. She says, no, where are your people from? And I said, oh, my dad was Jamaican. He lived in Liverpool. My mum was Irish. She said, what do you call him? I said, oh, his name was Marvin, but he was called Roy. And she said, Lord God, may I talk to my cousin? <laughs> <laughs> right, it's 2005. I took my dad's name in 1998. Changed my surname to Gillings. That was like this reclamation, restorative act. And it looked to me in 1998 like that was my decision. I was reclaiming my dad's name, not knowing seven years later, <laughs> as a result of, you know, being at a poetry event, having my number passed on. You know what, Kev? Family was in Birmingham, Tipton, Sandwell, Warsaw. So, um, Bromsgrove, Bromsgrove. So imagine that, right? Little old me has landed in the West Midlands, you know, for work, for my job. And it turns out that the Jamaican side of my family is all around here. It's nice, really. Oh, my days. Listen, the next day I didn't come out of my house because I thought, I had this belief that questions kept us alive. And somehow in my experience, you know, this search for, you know, who am I? What is the point of? Um, it seemed like it was an important thing, like it kept me alive. And uh, so because now I knew, oh, I might get hit by a bus. <laughs> 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 I'm not coming out the house and I didn't come out the house the next day. Anyway, so like I've since met like, uh, you know, Novelet and the family and the cousins. And like, imagine that there's cousins all around me. Imagine that, all around. So this was the first time when I got a sense of there was more to me than like the broken story of my Irish birth mother who couldn't keep, you know, it's a totally different narrative. And, um, oh, the power of that. Um, for it not to be a la-la-land narrative, but to actually look at your blood family and go, look at my family, they do this and they do that. And that's what they do, and that's what they do, and and this is in my bloodline as well. So that was that was transformative as well. Like I've been blessed, haven't I? I'm telling you these stories, and like I, even as I tell you, I'm like, wow, like you can't make that stuff up. You can't. <laughs> what were the odds, right? Like I've been guided or manoeuvred, or you know, some power in life has helped me along without a doubt. You know. I mean, I love uh, cherries. Um... Poems and Cherry's been on our podcast twice now, and she does them on there. So please go to our archives, listen to them. Um, they are brilliant, and you can find Cherry on Facebook. And it, she's done some brilliant, brilliant poems. Uh, and on about your poems, you've just started a new poetry class, haven't you? Yeah, so um, there's a wonderful uh, woman in Starbridge called Debbie, and she has a market, she had a market store at Smithfield Market. Uh, I think she's soon going to open a shop as well. And um, 
She's one of those community connectors, you know, brings people together. Anyway, she started a writing project on grief. So she invited me to this project. And um, so we've been meeting every week for about the last five, six weeks um, at this little shop in Starbridge called I'm Lucky. And it's this gorgeous store anyway. So we meet there and, um, and we write about grief and we tell stories about our experiences. And um, yeah, we're going to... Um, Put something together for grief awareness week we think actually it'll probably end up being like a small book that we that we collectively produce but it's just it's just a wonderful thing and like this is another one of those moments where you go look at this look at this well of creativity that's right here on your doorstep and all these women with amazing stories and histories and hey right here on your doorstep and like how long have i lived in starbridge i didn't know but it was a chance meeting you know? Well, me and Kev have lived around this area all our lives, and, and there's still people now who contact us, or we find them through doing the podcast and the radio show and, and whatever. And the, the history and the yeah, the people around here, it's just fascinating, isn't it, Kev? The, the great people, the people who are doing great work out there with mental health, with disability, with yes. the things that we kind of advocate. But it's it's amazing that how good these people are and yeah. how... How, how much they sacrifice to help other people. And it's what I've been so proud of with you, brother. It's finding these things, and whether you like poetry, mm. whether you like planting potatoes, <laughs> whether you, there's so much goodness out there. Like we, mm. And we started earlier. But unfortunately, we don't see and hear this on Midlands today. Mm-hmm. There isn't an advert in between Strictly Come Dancing or on celebrities saying there's a helpline there if you need it or there's um there's like-minded souls out there yeah and that's what i've really really enjoyed doing with this finding whatever and i mean whatever you're into there's other people there are too yes and there's like-minded souls so we've never got to feel alone in this world yes sometimes we're drawn to bad people and maybe that'll serve its purpose for that time we haven't got to feel alone, have we? No. And on the journey I'm still on, and all three of us are still on, uh, we're still learning, still making new friends, and opportunities will knock on the door. It's up to you whether you want to do them. Mm. I mean, mm. um, uh, uh, we're on a bit of grief, and there's no wrong way or specifically right way to grieve, is there? Mm-mm. And I feel like we were saying off air at the start, um, Oh, well, it's he, uh, Rob Rolls, he, uh, one of our Xboxes, he, oh, 2014 died. And, you know, you, you, people pop into your head, they go, blum, heck, it's been that long. Or, and then or someone will die a year ago. And mm-hmm. I think the build-up to the funeral, when someone dies, you're phoning up all the time. Maybe the week after the funeral, but then it's, well, well get on with it now. Mm-hmm. And certain people, you're saying about your mom or certain people, you think, I'd love to phone you now, or I can't remember the last time that, you know, when you're mate and you go, I can't remember the last time I had a belly laugh like me and so-and-so used to have. Mm. And grief pops up so often, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. I think that we don't talk about death and dying enough. And given... You know, last two years, the pandemic and what have you, um, 
I still don't think we're having the conversation. You know, it's um, there's something taboo about having that conversation, isn't there? I remember when um, when people were not allowed to say goodbye to their loved ones when they couldn't be present for their loved ones, and um, as they were passing over, and um, you know, there was lots of that in in the in the news. Um, yeah, but we it's just something that we just don't talk about enough. I think it's almost because you don't want to upset people as well. But I think mm-hmm. you've got to realise you can talk about it and, and still laugh. And that takes time, to be fair. You know, I've had close friends die and, and to begin with, it is just raw. But I think the conversation needs to be um, about the memories of the good and the memories that do make you laugh and and that kind of thing, as, you know, to get that conversation going. Because you, if you're talking about death and, and things, automatically... You, you slump and you you don't feel good about talking about it if it's raw in your own head. So you know this it's okay not to be okay band. Like so we got these on our on our mental first aid course, didn't we? And I'm always wearing it and people are always asking me about it, especially the young you know, especially the young lads at work actually. And I think that because we're conditioned, we've learned to say, Oh, it's not okay to upset people. That one's not okay to be upset. I don't want to upset you. We're going exactly against that. Like, us making it okay to be upset. Because it is okay mm. to be upset. And um, if you don't flinch at my upsetness, you make my upsetness okay. If you flinch, I'm going to push it all back in again. Yeah? And what we need is more people to, to, to be accepting of it. Okay, to not be okay. If you bore your eyes out, it's okay. I'm not going to be afraid of it. But the journey to that place, like as a nation, <laughs> and, you know, like we have to do that in our own little families and then spread it out and spread it out and spread it out. But that, that, that's the whole principle, isn't it, of it's okay to, to not be okay. It's like if we took that to its end... It would be perfectly okay to talk about death and dying and for you to boil your eyes out. And I, think, uh, I, I almost feel like ending the show on that, to be quite <laughs> honest, it's that good. <laughs> but it's right, I've never thought about, because it's okay to not be okay, it's all about mental health and, and asking the question twice. I've never thought about it in that in that in in the wider scheme of that. Yeah. You kind of think about it in the suicide, I say, in the mental health, but actually it's right, it's about every conversation. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay to have those feelings. It's yeah. okay to do that. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. It's okay to talk about everything. Yes. Yeah. It's okay to be upset. Yeah. It's okay to be human. Yes. And it, it's funny. I mean, uh, I, I've got to get this in because it's um, we talked about it with some of a Christmas around the corner. Mm-hmm. And um, on the human tip, I'll be always on the But it's like last Christmas, all we wanted was mom and dad, Uncle Richie. Grandma to come around the house, and we're all saying, Oh, you know, next Christmas, or we don't need we don't need to spend as much money as long as we've got each other, bab, that's all we need. And we've already forgotten it, haven't we? It's back into Black Friday, consume, consume, we must buy, we must buy. And do we, guys? You know, last year when we were saying, Father Christmas is elves, can't make as many presents this year because of social distancing. 
and this year it seems to have forgotten all about it. And it's yeah. just we haven't got the money, but spend, spend, spend is next year's problem. Yeah. Let's just remind ourselves what we need, and what we need is each other. And as long as we've got each other, or mm. be just one other person, whether they live on the other side of the world, we can phone, or mm. if you are lucky enough to have loved ones, get them around while we still can. Because Christmas, you know, it's about giving and receiving and receiving love and just don't spend, give time, give love, give comfort. And I think that's all anyone wants for Christmas, isn't it? Yeah, that's lovely, yeah. Well? You've got, you got a bit longer, Kev, to be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>, no. <laughs> I say, like, I say, Cherry, I mean, is the third time? We've had the first time on the radio... Yes. And you've been twice on, but every time, Lee, we learn something new about Cherry, don't we? Without doubt. <laughs> Without doubt. It's it's absolutely, every time it's a fascinating conversation, and I feel like I come away from the conversation learning more, and, and that's the key to having these conversations. This is what we do for the two hours, so it's not just like, hey, have you been, tell us about your life, all right, then thank you, goodbye. Mm. We like it because they say... We phone each other off air, we meant our first aiders, mm-hmm. and we've got a real friendship. But go back to uh, other episodes, and uh, it, it's just brilliant. And then can they find... Oh, what what was it called? You started as well. Um, I'm listening. Oh, yeah, so the listening posts. We're not, we're not doing it anymore, but you're right. In 2017, I had this idea that... Um, it was for Mental Health Awareness Week, actually. So what could we do as coaches who have this idea this understanding that you know we experience life from the inside out so it's like what could we offer that like everybody else wasn't doing and just have this idea to um let's rock up and listen to people and let's do it anywhere and everywhere and uh, we had like i think we had 52 coaches take part um shopping centers workplaces park benches we had t-shirts on that said I'm listening and um, yeah just making space for people to talk because more than anything being listened to is like the best medicine isn't it you know it just is I just I know it's so simple and seems like such a cliche but if you can be quiet and let somebody take the space it's magic We've said that many times ourselves, and I think that's one of the the in our support group. That's one of the main things we try and advocate in there. If someone is talking, let let them finish talking, and and then if you do have advice for them, give give them after they've said their piece. Instead of because we all try and give advice while that conversation's still going on, um, and there's nothing wrong with giving advice, and there's nothing wrong with ignoring it at the same time, but mm-hmm. let 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 people finish their conversation before you are jumping in and offering that. I always think that unsolicited advice is really unhelpful <laughs> because your your best solution would work for you, but it wouldn't work for me. And if I tell you what my best solution is for your problem, I just have an idea that you know what's best for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I also think it may spark a thought in someone's head to then try something. So, you know, um, your advice might be, well, actually, why don't you go to and see this counsellor? 
Um, and that might actually I hadn't thought about doing that, so we'll go and see. It might not work for me, yeah. granted, but it's uh, you know you've got to you've got to try yeah. these things to know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's some some neutrality in that, isn't there? Like there's this offer, you could do this. You, there's yeah. Well, I have tried this. Yeah, because you know what? Sometimes, Kev, you've probably seen this as well. People offering advice and then getting upset with you. For not taking your their advice, and aren't we hypocrites and offer advice that we don't take ourselves? Absolutely, like I can barely change my own mind, let alone try and change anybody else's. That's what I'm saying. Do as I say, and not what I do. Otherwise, she'll be around. But Cherry, very quickly, we've got about thirty seconds. Have you any quotes or sayings that have helped you get through life? Oh man, yes. So I've said this one to you before. It's by Nina Simone and she says, you have to learn to leave the table when love is no longer being served. Thank you as always for coming on. Thank you for listening. Till we see each other next time. Take care of yourselves and each other. Tororovit. <laughs>